Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's Friday, April 27th, 2018, and you're listening to Up to Date, our weekly recap of science news. I'm Andre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. While we're recording this, currently EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is getting raked over the coals by a number of Congress people about everything from his ethics to facing hard questions about his policies. And he's not very popular right now for lots of reasons. Uh, in the scientific community, He's faced a lot of heat because he's rolled back fuel emission standards to suggesting hosting a quote-unquote red team to challenge climate science data, which are kind of odd choices. But I think the weirdest choice came this week where he suggested he's going to delete studies from the EPA. But it's not so much that he wanted to delete some old studies. It's why. In the name of transparency, he proposed a rule where any studies that contain anonymized sources would be thrown out. But a huge number of stories going back decades were conducted with confidentiality agreements to protect people's personal information. This is super common in science, right? Andre? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you can't, if you do a patient study, for example, you can't identify that patient. I've actually rejected a paper uh, to my journal Neurocase because the individual who wrote it wanted his son, who was the patient in the story, to be a co-author. And I just said that you can't you can't do that. I mean, there's some really famous em- environmental studies like that involve workers at, at, at plants that were reporting um, hazardous conditions who asked for confidentiality for protection from their employer. There's ones that involve health details uh, naturally, given what the EPA does, that they don't want to be identified in that. This is just bizarre. Like, I don't know of any scientific institution that doesn't have confidentiality agreements in place. So uh, this is one of the weirdest policies I've ever heard of in science. And I hope he gets grilled today about why you would do this, because there's nothing transparent about this at all. I mean, I think it just comes down to not having a deep understanding of science, which I think Scott Pruitt is uh, proven himself not to have. That's the most generous thing you can say about Scott (laughs) Pruitt. Um, Back last year. I interviewed Allison von Einemann, who is a researcher at UC Davis, about gene editing in livestock, like editing out like a gene that encodes horns and cows because uh, they often gore each other with these horns. So it leads to a better 
life when they're raised in captivity. Other edits that like might bring about female chicks, uh, preferably so that you know we get eggs from female chicks, so that just makes sense. But she mentioned a cloudy regulatory environment, and all of that seems to be coming ahead. So here's a specific situation. There's something called porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus. And essentially, pigs get this disease that causes reproductive failure, where they have stillborn offspring, They'll abort pregnancy and sometimes die, and they have these incredible respiratory ailments uh, that uh, basically they are suffering. There's no other way to put it. I've looked at the pictures. I I hope no one else looks at the pictures for this. Uh, And this causes huge, enormous financial and economic damage to the industry as a whole. So two companies have specifically identified a gene that produces a protein that the virus that, that leads to this disease feeds on. And they've proposed an edit, a gene edit that would turn off the production of that protein. So I have a question for you. That, that sounds great on some level, right? Do you agree yeah, with so that? Yeah, so this is like where CRISPR would come in handy, right? You yeah. just go in and edit that gene, and all of a sudden, no more porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome virus problem. Yeah, so assuming all of that works, my question to you is, who approves from the government? Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. You're right. So right now, the FDA says they should because they said this is a drug and they regulate all drugs. I see because they're because you're injecting something into the pigs that's going to cause. I see. Okay, but the FDA doesn't normally regulate a lot of treatments for animals. I mean, so they're not sort of totally equipped to handle this. Uh, and it's also the scientists arguing, well, it's just an edit. We're not introducing a drug per se. Uh, and drugs, and the reason this is a big deal is drugs face a, a pretty significant regulatory burden. It's both expensive and it takes a lot of time to get them approved for good reason. But the agriculture secretary says, hey, this is a livestock thing. The USDA should cover this. And he specifically wants to lower the barrier for biotechnology to work with ad companies, uh, agriculture companies. You can see the economic benefits of doing so. But it also kind of makes sense that the USDA would regulate this, right? Right. Well, I mean, so who regulates GMOs? Is that going to be agriculture or, you know, USDA or FDA? If you want to create a new tomato... (laughs) A gene-edited tomato. Who regulates that? So, right, this is cloudy, too. So the FDA has jurisdiction as it stands now. Um, and the reason all of this is a big deal now is there is a annual farm bill that comes in front of Congress in the U.S. And there are amendments right now that would transfer the authority from the FDA to the USDA. And so proponents of this say it makes sense for this specific case. Uh, opponents are saying, well, this is just getting cozy with industry, which is concerning. It's not concerning, you know, in every case, but you can see uh, we have a lot of historical examples where that get that goes off the rails. Yeah, I can see why this is problematic. I mean, I think ultimately you have to sort of figure out what you're defining. And, and the other question is, too, is this is happening in embryos, right? So technically, they're not live animals. So couldn't it be something like, you know, the NIH? I don't even want to touch this case when you mention the word embryo. that I think that even complicates things even further in a weird way. Um, I don't know. This is one of those places where I'm just uh, I'm just saying I don't know. Um, and- okay. So, uh, well, let me tell you something about now we, we do know something new <laughs> as opposed to asking new questions. So, you know, there's there's been this kind of speculation about where water came from uh, on the earth, right? So, so uh, 
when the Earth was, you know, a little baby, uh, it was too close to the sun for water to leave the gas phase and become liquid and too small to hold on to too much of that kind of water vapor gas. So there's been a question that's been puzzling scientists for a long time, which is where did water come from? Um, and I currently love uh, this new idea that it came from outer space. It's not so new. Uh, but what I love about this particular study is the tools that the scientists use to kind of put together a, a, an idea of how this happened. So um, planetary geologist Tarek Daly, uh, who's now at Johns Hopkins, but was working with his former advisor, Peter Schultz, at Brown University when he made this discovery. They took uh, an, a mineral called antigorite, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is found in Japan, and they made balls of it about the size of a marble. And then they, they, they presume that this, these mineral-sized balls are sort of like what you would find in ancient asteroids. Um, and then they took these pellets and they shot them at baked pumice uh, using the NASA Ames gun range. Uh, and basically, they mimicked what would happen if asteroids were crashing into the Earth. Um, and so we used to think that water and asteroids would just vaporize on impact. But in their experiment, they actually showed that the water vapor released on impact could be captured in clumps of glass, these little blobs that they call them. And, and up to 30% of the stored water in asteroids could have been delivered to Earth uh, via this mechanism. And I think that's, first of all, really cool to think about, like, you know, a bunch of scientists shooting pellet marbles <laughs> at pumice uh, at this gun range to sort of basically show how water came from potentially the asteroids. Well, wow. so two things. Does it get stuck inside of like pockets inside of the, the glass? That's what it sounds like to me is that it's sort of getting trapped almost in like bubbles and it's sort yeah, of insulated think... and protected that way. Yeah, that seems to be, I, I mean, from my understanding of, of the paper, that seems to be what they're saying. Um, so yeah, you have these, you know, it's basically the glass serves to keep it from, um, you know, leaving. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it gets kind of like trapped in these little glass bubbles, and that's how it can stick around for longer. All right. And as an aside, so just to give people a picture of what this of this tool looks like, it's basically I, I've actually visited it. And that's why I know this. It's it's a this elongated tube. And they usually have like a, a target, which is like a big sandbox, usually of some sort. And so in this case, they filled it with punnets. And when I say like a long tube, imagine like a gun nozzle that is 100, 150 feet long and maybe like half a foot wide. And it fires like a projectile right into that sand. And then it has high speed cameras all around and different sensors. And this is most famous uh, because it is the uh, the tool that was used to upend the theory of how dinosaurs perished on this planet. Uh, if you listen to the Radio Lab show Apocalyptical, when they went on on tour and talked about how the dinosaurs died, there was an experiment that used this gun to show that when an asteroid hit the planet, it ejected an, uh, so much dust in the air that that dust came back down. And as it was coming back through the atmosphere, heated up the planet. And so not only did the impact kill a bunch of dinosaurs, but the heating of the planet from all the dust re-entering the atmosphere uh, killed a number of creatures as well. Uh, so this tool has an important legacy, not only for water, but our friends, the dinosaurs as well. So, you know, I'm not a really, I'm not a gun person and like forget Vegas, but I would totally love to go to this gun range. <laughs> so yeah. next time you get an invite, let's head down there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
All right, so that's it for Up to Date, our weekly science news recap. Watch out for our next full episode of Inquiring Minds, dropping on Monday, where Kishore will be interviewing Brian Keating about losing the Nobel Prize. Uh, spoiler alert, he did not win the Nobel Prize, but I think you can gather that from here. <laughs> uh, you can always support the show on patreon.com slash inquiringminds. And if you support us at the $5 level, you'll get an ad-free version of each of our podcasts. Uh, please do so. It helps us maintain the show. And thank you for all the patrons that are making that possible. I'm Andrea Viscontis. See you next week. And I'm Kishore Hari. See you then. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.